You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Will, will, will. What do you know? You know, I got to be honest, the, the hardest thing I had to do was to reconcile the fact that in one part of my brain, I was very disappointed with a lot of things. There were a lot of things like, man... You guys keep making critical mistakes at critical times, and I tell you what, that's really bad, right? You know, the, you know that voice, like, guys, you got to clean it up, man. That's not acceptable stuff. You can't be doing that. And then on the other hand, there's the other voice that says, hey, man, remember when you said the Packers would beat the living daylights out of the Bears? Remember that? You said they were going to just destroy them? And remember that after you said that, you put in the Packernet uh, newsletter that the score would be 30 to 20. That was your expectation at the exact same time you're saying they're going to destroy him. In other words, you think they're going to beat the Bears so badly that the score is going to be 30 to 20. The end result was 35 to 16. And what? We're going to complain about it? <laughs> I mean, they exceeded my expectation. And you know what my expectation was if you've been listening to the podcast. Domination. At the end of the day, the final conclusion that I had was all those mistakes, It's you can't say necessarily, you can, but you know, I'm not going to because I don't think it's the best possible conclusion. You can't say that all those mistakes make the team bad. The only conclusion I can really come to is all those mistakes made it 35-16 instead of 49-3. That's that's what that means. For example, if the opening kickoff didn't go out of bounds and they didn't have a short field, did they get seven points? If Tavon Austin didn't fumble the ball, did they get three points there? If MVS would have caught that touchdown, would we have seven more? If Kevin King would have caught that interception, would we have taken three more points off the board? There was also a turnover. I'm just... I mean, the numbers aren't exact. I haven't done the tally. I really want to go back and actually look at all the different times that this happened. But don't forget the turnover that was taken away because Preston Smith jumped off sides. It was not a clean game, and there's plenty to nitpick, but they destroyed the Chicago Bears. And as far as I'm concerned, I feel vindicated. The Bears are not good. They're not. You're telling me. Listen. Apparently, there are people out there saying that Mitch Trubisky is is having some kind of a resurgence. I, I, you know, I watched the game. I thought he was horrible. Not just bad, I'm talking terrible. The amount of throws that were either way off target, as in incomplete because he just didn't throw it at the guy, or completely unnecessarily making guys like Cole Komet jump out of the stadium to try to catch the pass when there's nobody near him and he didn't need to throw it that high, is just remarkable to me. He had one nice deep throw. Kudos. Otherwise, it's all this... I mean, and that's been his whole career, this dink and dunk nonsense. As I forget who it was. Somebody pointed out yesterday. I don't know if it was Brady or what, but I think it was. 
just running a high school offense. It's it's kind of pathetic. And even the run game, you know, what what success they had there, first of all, they didn't really have big chunks. I think the biggest success that they had is that they were able to get themselves in third and short. And if they couldn't convert on third and short, they went for it all the time on fourth down, and then it was fourth and really, really short, including a couple really generous spots by the referees who I thought did a terrible job yesterday. Not going to complain about the refs. I'm sure there's calls that went both directions, but you know, people keep saying that the Packers cheat, which is the stupidest thing ever. I've put the stats out there. It's absolute nonsense. The Packers get less than average amount of calls in their direction. In other words, most teams, in fact, it's the least in the NFC North, so the Vikings, Bears, and Lions fans can all go shut up. Simple little Google search clear that up for you. But, I mean, it was, I mean, they weren't, well, again, the, the blatant offsides call that couldn't help them convert a fourth down. That There's another one that went in their direction. The entire defensive line, all game, was screaming, these guys are holding. I saw Zadarius and Kenny, like, are you ever going to call a hold? This is getting ridiculous. I almost thought they weren't going to call that uh, blatant pass interference by on Devontae. With the referee standing right there wasn't going to. Fortunately, the guy clear on the other side of the field saw the defender yank his arm off and decided to throw a flag. We, we almost didn't get that one. But again, the, the run game, they didn't really have a bunch of huge runs. I, I really felt like, and again, I, you know, I can't complain about Mike Pettin's game plan considering the Bears scored 16 points and some of that was gifted to them. 40-yard short field followed by what? They started at like the 20-yard line after that fumble? Came away with three points? I mean, it was starting to look like the Colts game for a while there. But I I was a little... Again, my game plan coming into this was simple. Stack the box and force them to throw. Petten didn't really like that plan. I didn't really see a whole lot of big, heavy fronts. I mean, it was... was, uh, He was trusting guys like Kenny Clark to make plays, and I thought he did. Not from a pressure standpoint, but defending the run, I thought Kenny did a great job. The, the biggest frustration I had was that Snacks Harrison looked dominant up front. Every time I saw him, he looked really, really good. He was he was just devouring double teams, and uh, they kept pulling him, not, not just in a general sense for Dean Lowry, but even on all those third and fourth and shorts, they kept putting Dean Lowry out there, and it's, they can't believe that Dean Lowry is a better player. And you can't talk to me about scheme. I mean, there, there's nothing more basic than what Snacks Harrison has to do on a fourth and, and inches. He knows what to do. He's been in the league for 55 years. He knows how to defend a fourth and inches. But again, he, I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm complaining, but I'm saying all this together culminated to a 35-16 win because the Bears just... And, and look, all due respect to David Montgomery, he's a he's a good runner. I think he's a slippery runner. The offensive line did its job. It, it burst open some holes. Kudos to our linebackers and safeties who, you know, the, I, I thought the tackling was f- fantastic. The fact of the matter is, the I think the biggest difference when you look at this game compared to, for example, the 49ers game in the NFC Championship last year, there were some massive holes to run through. I mean, when you look at the... Um, the replays on some of these, you just see that offensive line get completely spread out, which is what happened in the 49ers game. These defensive linemen just get pushed to opposite ends of the field, and there's these massive holes. In the 49ers game, they ran through those holes, and then nobody was there to tackle them, and nobody could wrap up or any of that stuff, and there were a couple missed tackles and whatnot, but for the most part, as soon as somebody got to Montgomery, he, he went down, and guys were flying, guys were swarming, and it just it kept things from ever getting out of hand. And again, they, they had a decent day on the ground, no question about it. But I don't think it was a dominant performance. I mean, what was his biggest run? David Montgomery's longest run was eight yards. Eight yards. I mean, 22 carries, 69 yards, 3.1 average, one touchdown. And and they didn't really 
set out, in my opinion, to stop the run. Snacks Harrison hardly ever played. In my opinion, they, they if anything, played scared of Trubisky and Allen Robinson. Which, uh, you know, again, Allen Robinson is the one strength of this team, no question about it. But it's still a team that wants to run every single play. But, you know, again, kudos to Mike Pettin. I I disagree with his assessment, but who was right? 16 points allowed. And and here's the thing. The smart thing about what they did is is what he's done all year. We're not going to allow the big play, right? If you want to run the ball for three yards per play and throw these little dump-off passes, go for it. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to try to force the ball in the end zone. You're going to have to get that big play because this dink and dunk stuff isn't going to be good enough to catch up to Aaron Rodgers. My biggest concern with that, though, is that it keeps our defense on the field for a very long time, and then they get tired, and that's when in the fourth quarter you start to see these big chunks. But we didn't see that. And we haven't seen that recently. We haven't seen the big defensive collapse. Think about that. I mean, what was the, what was the dominant performance? It was the rookie. And, and what did the rookie do? I mean, they, they, they keep talking about this great performance by Darnell Mooney and all this stuff. I don't think he was all that spectacular. All they did was throw little wide receiver screens because we were playing five yards off. Okay, congratulations. It's called nobody can win down the field, so I'm just going to dump it off to Mooney. And, you know, all the, all the hate on King, and I think some of it is deserved, a lot of the passes that went his way were just that. King was playing off. And I don't think it's necessarily his fault, if, if that's his job, unless Petten wants him to get up and press the line of scrimmage, and he's saying, nah. But I don't think that's happening. So, I mean, if he's going to play five yards off, and they're just going to, you know, run these quick little routes to capitalize on it. And, and again, it's, it's beyond frustrating, but Petten's saying, go ahead and do it. And I, I really believe in his mind, and to this defense's mind, that's a win. Because the Bears are conceding, we can't do it. We just, we can't get the ball down the field. And at the end of the day... You know, the the biggest difference is the Packers, when they got down into that zone, they were scoring touchdowns. The Bears could not. Outside of that first drive, they didn't score a single touchdown. Not one. And really, I mean, again, and I know, I, I, I do believe the Bears offense is bad, but 16 points is still impressive. And, and if you're not impressed with this defense yet, I'm telling you, this is one of the best defenses in football right now. Hands down. I mean, special teams has gifted teams about 50% of the points that we give give up. But just look at the last four weeks, 14, uh, five weeks. If you take away that punt return for the Philadelphia Eagles, which has nothing to do with the defense, we're talking about 16, 14, 16, 17, 16. They're allowing, on average, less than 16 points per game over the last five weeks. That's a third of a season. That's not even a quarter of a season. We're at a third of a season. The last time the defense allowed any amount of points was the Chicago Bears, and that was 25 points. Before that was the Colts. And again, I've gone through that. How many of those had to do with special teams? I went through the whole thing. Go look at it. Go look at the scoring drives. Look at where they started every single time. Whether it's an offensive failure, a bad punt. I mean, they, they just got dominated in field, field of position. Field of position. What does that mean? Before that, Jaguars 20, 49ers 17. I mean, there's been a couple sputtering things here, but this defense is just stupid good. I mean, (laughs) again, they they haven't played very good teams, but the Bears, since their bye week, have scored 30 or more points every single week except twice, the Packers and the Packers. And that, again, that doesn't include the MVP quarterback, the dominant elite, I mean, historically elite wide receiver in Devontae Adams. We have not seen a Packers team like this in a very long time. Very, very long time. 
There are no guarantees. I'm not promising anything. I can't promise anything. There are other very good teams in the NFL right now. I think the Saints are a very good team. I think the Bucks are a very good team. Um, Seattle is somewhat scary, mostly because their defense is kind of waking up a little bit. The Rams can be a little bit scary just based on the fact that any team with a scary defense can be scary. And then, you know, the Bears, and there's there's no guarantees. Washington, I, I feel like that would have to be a complete collapse. But, you know, I mean, that, that the point is, though, they, they have the tools. It's just a matter of wake up, right? MVS, you got to catch it, man. Kevin King, you got to catch it, man. But but the game plans are there. Pettin's dialed in. LaFleur is dialed in. Jair is, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's recency bias, but when was the last time you've seen a guy play like this? I know immediately everybody's going to say Charles Woodson, but, I mean, it's got to be close, doesn't it? It's kind of like the Devontae and, and Sterling Sharp debate. Like, oh, I don't know if he's got Sterling. Like, yeah, but I think we should talk about it. Not just Green Bay historically great. NFL historically great. On a per-season basis, he's breaking records, and he missed, what, two and a half games? Stupid. I mean, Aaron Rodgers breaking all kinds of records, mostly his own. <laughs> it's a special football team. And, and, you know, at the beginning of the season, the biggest concern was they weren't playing complementary football. The offense was playing at a level we hadn't seen, but the defense just didn't really come to play. They weren't nearly as good. And there are still things that aren't as good. The pass rush is not there. I mean, it shows itself once in a while, but, you know, Zadarius is nowhere near what he was. Preston is not getting the sacks. I think he's still similar to what he was last year, but he's, you know, the amount of sacks and pressures he had last year, obviously nowhere near that. Rashawn shows flashes but they're all showing flashes. I think Kenny's doing a good job against the run, but we're not seeing a ton of pressure. But still, again, the the these games speak for themselves. And nobody can sit here and talk about, well, look at their schedule. Are you kidding me? You realize we played the Titans, right? I mean, we played the Atlanta Falcons when they were the number one NF, uh, offense in football. We played the Titans when they were the number one offense in football. I don't think these are small things. It's not as though they've never played good offenses. It's just an absolute fabrication. But anyways, um, I want to look at a couple things here. Um, first of all, why don't we get this out of the way? Let's look at the official playoff picture as it stands. Uh, then I want to go through some stats, some uh, really cool NFL insights. And then after the break, I want to go position by position because I, I like doing that because I forget a lot of things. Maybe I'll save the stats. Why don't we do this? Let's look at the official uh, playoff roster as it stands. Then we'll take a break and come back and do the the insights and whatnot. First of all, AFC, Kansas City Chiefs obviously locked up that number one bye. The number two seed Buffalo Bills will be taking on the number seven seed Indianapolis Colts. I don't necessarily think that's going to be a walk in the park for the Bills. Um, they're, they're playing real well right now, but you know, this, the difference is this is playoff football, right? Everybody, all these playoff teams have been beaten up on a lot of garbage teams. We've been talking about that, right? Yes, the Packers have had an easy schedule. So has literally everybody. Go look at the Chiefs' schedule. Go look at the Ravens' schedule. Everybody plays mostly garbage teams. In the playoffs, that all goes away. So everybody has to just stay consistent. And the fact is, and I've talked a little bit about the Colts, they're starting to pick up steam a little bit. And one of the things that's really starting to click is Jonathan Taylor, 30 carries, 253 yards, and two touchdowns. He had an 8.4 average on 30 carries. Usually if you get like a 9-yard average or whatever, you did like 10, 11 carries like uh, David Montgomery the first time we played him. So, Bills are going to be favored, but uh, they better watch out because the Colts are going to be looking to play some ground control. Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was hoping the the Cleveland Browns wouldn't make it in because, again, they're a pretty reckless team that can 
do some crazy stuff. But then again, we're probably not going to see them. If, if they make it to the Super Bowl, they're playing very well consistently, and that would be super scary. But I don't think they're a consistent team. However, they should be able to beat the three-seed Steelers, who are just playing like garbage right now. And then finally, you have the fifth seed Baltimore Ravens against the fourth seed Tennessee Titans. I think that should be a very good game. Tennessee, again, you want to give credit to the Packers' defense. Well, Tennessee, blah, 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 whatever. Here's their point totals since, oh, I don't know, week 11. 30, 45, 35, 31, 46, 14, 41. You want to take a wild guess where the Packers fit in that? Literally 30 points is the lowest in that thing that I listed, with the exception of 14, which is the lowest they scored all season. This defense, man, I'm trying to tell you, that 14 was sandwiched between 46 and 41. It's, that's stupid. Anyways, on the NFC side, the Green Bay Packers have the number one seed, which means they will not be playing next week. They can get healthy. They have time to get snacks acclimated, uh, draw up some great game plans and ideas and anybody else they want to get involved, whether it's Dylan or uh, Tavon Austin or whoever, they have an opportunity to do that. We'll talk a little bit more about Dylan when we get through the position by position stuff. But um, thanks to some help, the Chicago Bears did get into the playoffs. The Bears will take on the New Orleans Saints. I kind of see that as a win-win, kind of similar to the Viking Saints. I don't really want to play the Saints. I'd rather play the Bears. But I don't really want to play the Bears because I don't want to give them the opportunity to knock us out of the playoffs. Not that I think they will, but, you know, it's either the Bears get eliminated, which is fantastic, or the Saints get knocked out of the playoffs, which is fantastic. So I'll take either of those scenarios. If the Bears win, they come to Green Bay. Simple as that. The Bears don't have any options. They don't have any additional outs. They are the lowest seed. They have no option other than to play Saints-Packers in order to uh, move on to the Super Bowl. I don't think they make it. They got to go to New Orleans, obviously, but, uh, you know, anything can happen. After that, you have the sixth seed LA Rams taking on the three seed Seattle Seahawks. I mean, that's that's uh, kind of a toss-up game. I know Seattle's kind of trending in a better direction than the Rams are, but again, you can't really count them out. They can get stuff done on offense. Defense is stout. Um, finally, Tampa Bay and Washington. I, I think Tampa Bay is getting a gift here. Washington has shown some promising things, especially with their defense. Once again, they allowed only 14 points this time to Philadelphia, so they're similar to the Packers. You look at their track record, and they're just not allowing a lot of points. But um, even if they keep Tampa Bay's score low, I don't see a lot of scenarios where, where Washington scores more points than the defense keeps them from. I hope so. I'm going to be a huge, huge, huge Washington fan. But I think that one's pretty well set in stone. And actually, forgot to give you this because... I'm dumb. But uh, next Saturday is when we get our first playoff game. It's going to be Colts-Bills. So i got to think of some kind of fun stuff we can do because we're not playing, so we got to get invested in these games here. Um, and then additionally on those days, so there's three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. The noon game on Saturday is Colts-Bills. 340 game is Rams-Seahawks. And then the, the late game is going to be Buccaneers and uh, Washington. And then on Sunday... Fortunately, the Sunday night game I couldn't care any less about, so I don't have to stay up for that. But uh, Sunday at noon, talking central time, Ravens-Titans. Then the 3 o'clock is going to be Bears-Saints. And then again, the late game, Steelers-Browns. So there you go, folks. We're in it, man. We are officially in the playoffs. We are the number one seed. I mean, it's what we've been waiting for, and here we are. It's go time. Packers don't have a great reputation coming out of a bye, but again, you look at what Mike Pettin and Matt LaFleur have been doing. Um... It's hard to argue. I mean, it, it hasn't been perfect. 
been some things that I'd love to question, but again, you look at the scores, uh, you look at what the defense has been doing, and it would, I think, be somewhat foolish to question the results. Final thing before we take a break, I, I think one of the, you know, if you wanted to take a single play and really extrapolate that out to the difference in this defense, it would be the final play of that game. You know, in almost every scenario, I can't necessarily speak for every team, but but especially the Packers and probably most teams, when you're up by that much, and this is a team wanting the playoffs and they're pushing real hard to get a touchdown, usually the offense is playing a lot harder than the defense. They want to score for moral reasons. The defense doesn't really care as much. This defense cared, and I think they should. This defense has not allowed 20 points in the last five weeks and the Bears are trying to take that from them. This is a pride thing. There's a big difference between 16 points and 23 points. There just is. And the defense stiffened, and not only did they stiffen, but Jair Alexander, who allowed nothing, absolute lockdown, shutdown, nothing coming my way, don't you even dare. They throw basically a touchdown pass. Jimmy Graham caught that at the goal line. His only job at, what, six foot seven. 255 what is he close 67 265 so at 6 foot 7 265 the guy's a defensive end his only job is to run through Jair Alexander 5 foot 10 196 pounds who had the stronger will on that play 6 foot 7 265 Jimmy Graham or 510 196 Jair Alexander who won that's the Packers defense i don't care that we won it's about pride they care a lot about pride they care a lot about the fact that we're a dominant defense, and you're not going to do that to us. You're not going to take this from us. We're not going to just let you score a touchdown. There might have been a couple of players taking their foot off the gas. Jair's not one of them. He doesn't back down. He will not back down. I don't care if you're... You know how many guys would see Jimmy Graham at the goal line and would basically just cash it in because they're saying there's no way I'm going to stop him? I mean, that I can't say that's my favorite play of the day, but... It's, it, it's so impactful. And I think for the most part, people look at it probably somewhat casually and say, yeah, it was a good play. I think that means a lot. I really do. It sends a message, and that's how this ends. That's how the Packers go into their bye week, knowing that they only allowed 16 points, not 23 points, knowing that they shut down Jimmy Graham at the goal line. Jair didn't allow a touchdown in this game. His own personal pride was on the line in this one. And again, that's a no-brainer. He caught that past the one-yard line and just had to run through Jair and couldn't do it. Unfreaking believable That guy, I mean, you know, we talk about Devontae and uh, Aaron Rodgers a lot. Jair has to be put in the conversation. We have to start talking about him more. I, I, I just, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Anyways, why don't we take a break? Again, if you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. Um, as I've said in the past, just a dollar might not seem much, like much, but if everybody listening to this podcast gave just a dollar a month, I could probably quit my job. We did actually cross. I was super excited the other day. We crossed the 5,000 listener mark in a day. I was complaining about it because we missed it by a day, and I think it was the very next day we crossed 5,000 in a day, which is massive. And again, I think on a monthly basis, there's roughly 20,000 unique listeners. So again, as I said, if, if y'all get together and are like, hey... Let's just give the guy a buck a month. I think we can manage that. I'm, I'm, I'm not even gonna go to work today. Hopefully, you guys decide that and come together like at noon, so I can eat my lunch and just walk out. But then you can't, you can't cancel though, because that would be embarrassing. I'd have to go back and beg, and I don't want to do that. 
But anyways, again, just just think it over. Would be very very great if you could do that. Um, I would love to say thank you to somebody that gave twenty dollars, but um, I don't know how to accept it. And now I can't find your message, and Venmo doesn't know that you gave it to me, and I don't know what to do. So <laughs> I don't think it's gonna go through, big guy. But I appreciate the uh, the thought. It's the thought that counts. Kind of. I mean, it counts $20 less, but it still counts for something, and I appreciate it. Oh, one final thing. Um, planning on doing a lot of hype videos. Um, not, maybe not even necessarily hype, but uh, a little bit more basic than the A.J. Dillon video. For example, highlight video, which is just going to be literally clips of, of all the great plays the Packers have. Snipped together with maybe some music in the background. That's about it. But Pack Daddy NFL is my YouTube channel. Otherwise, I'm going to be putting them up on the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. It's the other place that you can find that. But uh, let's take a break. We'll come back, look at some stuff. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, why don't we start with... Let's head over to PFF. They don't have their grades or anything yet, but usually, or not usually, right after the game, what they do is they give an a immediate snapshot because the way that their grades work is you've got guys that watch the game and kind of grade it live, and then they pass that off to somebody else who checks their work, and then there's a final person, I think, that checks their work, something to that effect. But uh, they want to give a snapshot of what the initial people saw. But uh, start off with the first paragraph here. I'll just read it verbatim. I might just read the whole thing. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The Green Bay Packers locked up the number one overall seed in the NFC, and Aaron Rodgers just about solidified his MVP campaign with a 35-16 win over the Chicago Bears in Week 17. Moving on, story of the game. Rodgers and the Packers offense came into the game ranked first in expected points added per play, EPA, and continued that dominance, scoring 30-plus points in their 12th game this season. Let's pause there for a second. We've talked about the dominance of the defense. Let's not overshadow how impressive it is for this team to put up that many points. The Bears defense allowed 17 to, if this thing would stop kicking me all over the place, to the Jaguars, 27 to the Vikings, 7 to the Texans, and then 34-41, but the 41 was the Packers. Before that, 19, 24, 26, 24, 16, 19, 19, 26, 13, 23. So basically, they allowed 30 or more points three times this season. Once to the Lions, twice to the Packers. That's it. 40 or more points once, and that was to the Packers. This is a good defense. 
So even when you look at all the the issues and the struggles and the woes and oh man, why weren't guys getting open and why da 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 da? Good defense. Continuing on, Rodgers eclipsed his career high in touchdown passes, finishing the regular season with 48. Unbelievable. I'm actually upset he didn't hit 50, but just stupid, man. This whole season can be summed up in in one word, stupid. I wish I can go back in time and and just summarize it for myself before the season starts and just say the season is stupid and then just watch my brain melt and think, oh man, this is going to be horrible just because I'm kind of a jerk that way. His touchdown record can be attributed to his success throwing the ball in goal-to-go situations. He recorded three such touchdowns today, bringing his total to an NFL-leading 28 on the season. On the receiving end of his last touchdown pass of the regular season was Devontae Adams, marking his 18th such reception of the season. That puts Adams in elite company, becoming one of five players to ever catch 18 touchdown passes in the season and tying Sterling Sharp for the franchise record. Again, for the fifth time, let me remind you, he missed time this year. Mitch Trubisky and the Bears' offense came into the affair on a three-game winning streak and having scored 30-plus points in four straight contests, that came to a halt against the Packers' defense. Star wide receiver Allen Robinson was shut down for the majority of the game and caught only two passes for 37 yards. I know one of them was against Kevin King. I cannot remember the other one, but again, Jair is a freak. David Montgomery continued his impressive recent stretch of either 100 yards rushing or a touchdown in every game since Week 12. They really had to reach for that one. Cornerback Jair Alexander was dominant once again at the cornerback position, allowing just seven yards on three targets. That's a little hint that he's going to have a great game or a great grade <laughs> tomorrow or today. It comes out today. Moving on, rookie watch with Alexander shutting down. Rookie wide receiver Darnell Moody stepped up with the career with the Bears offense. I don't really care about any of this. Packers tight end Dominique Daphne caught his first career touchdown on the lone reception of the day. And then, linebacker Chris Barnes was a Green Bay's lone rookie with over 15 snaps. He led all defenders with 11 tackles, was the first to make contact on 12 of his 58 snaps. There you go. That's what PFF saw. A uh, little bit of a glimpse, probably going to have decent grades for Chris Barnes and, um, and Jair. Moving on to the insights, these are always a lot of fun. Remarkable career. Aaron Rodgers has 56 career games with 3-plus passing touchdowns and 0 interceptions, second most in the NFL since 1950. Aaron Rodgers has a 100-plus passer rating in 14 games this season, most in a single season in the Super Bowl era. (laughs) The Bears are 0-6 all-time versus the Packers in Week 17. That's a heck of a stat. The Bears have never beat the Packers in Week 17. That's glorious. Let's never change that tradition. I'm stealing that. I'm putting that on Twitter right now. Since the bye week was reinstituted in 1990, no franchise has more wins, 24, or a higher win percentage, 0.774, than the Packers in Week 17. Mitch Trubisky has one or more interceptions and four straight starts versus the Packers. I love that every Packers game when I do these insights, every single Packers note is positive, every single opponent note is negative. Just incredible. Poverty franchises. I'm sorry, Bears fans. I don't want to rub it. Hey, you're in the playoffs. Congratulations. You never know. Stuff can happen sometimes. Maybe you'll find a quarterback this week. Um, another game, another milestone. Devontae Adams has tied Sterling Sharp. We knew that one. 18 in 1994 for the most receiving touchdowns in a single season in Green Bay history. Devontae Adams has 11 games with one or more receiving touchdowns this season, tied the single season franchise record. The Packers have scored 30 or more points in 12 games this season, their most such games in a single season since at least 1940. Devontae Adams has six or more receptions in 12 straight, game, straight games, tied for the longest single-season streak in, by Green Bay since 1950. Devontae Adams has surpassed Sterling Sharp, 112 in 1993, for the most receptions in a single season in Green Bay history. 
Mitch Trubisky is the third player in Bears history with 1,000-plus completions. Hey, there you go. There's a positive one. Pay him. Pay the man. You paid Cutler. He's the other one on this list, him and Harbaugh. Talking about all-time greats here. Aaron Rodgers has tied Tom Brady for the most games with three or more passing touchdowns in a single season in NFL history with 12. Aaron Rodgers has three or more passing touchdowns in the first half for the seventh time this season. No other player has done so more than twice entering Week 17. That is a crazy stat. No other player has had more than three touchdowns more than twice. Aaron Rodgers has done it seven times this season. That's a heck of a gap. Aaron Rodgers has 25 passing touchdowns in the second quarter of the season, the most in any single season in a quarter. Nope. The most in any single quarter in a single season since at least 1991. Now, second quarter has been absolutely dominant this year. Aaron Rodgers has two or more total touchdowns in 11 straight games, the longest active streak in NFL history. Aaron Rodgers has tied Peyton Manning as the oldest player with 45-plus passing touchdowns in a single season. Robert Tunyon has tied Paul Kaufman, 11, for the most receiving touchdowns by a tight end in a single season in Packers history. David Montgomery is the first Bears running back with one or more touchdowns in six straight games since Walter Payton in 1986. That's shocking. I want to belt out poverty franchise, but kind of shocked that uh, Matt Forte isn't on there. That was a good running back. Aaron Rodgers is the first player in NFL history with 40-plus passing touchdowns and five or fewer interceptions in a single season. Finally, the Bears have defeated one team with a winning record this season. That was Tampa Bay in Week 5. They're going to have to win three of them just to get into the Super Bowl. They're going to have to beat the Saints. They're going to have to beat the Packers. One other team, and then they're going to have to beat the best team in the AFC. I'm really, really sorry to tell you the Bears are not winning the Super Bowl this year, Bears fans. There's just there's just no way. All right, finally, let's go through this. Um, the one other note that I wanted to highlight, there's a lot of things that I saw that I was hoping I would remember, and I'm sure I forgot almost all of them. Um, but the Packers finished with more passing touchdowns than punts on the season. I think it's a remarkable stat. Anyways, Aaron Rodgers, 19 of 24, 240 yards and four touchdowns. Um, basically a perfect game. One thing I want to look at is the adjusted completion percentage and whatnot and his grade. It should be through the roof. Uh, I know there was at least one drop in this game, which would bring it to at least 20 of 24 for 240 and four touchdowns. And had MVS caught that, we would be at 20 of 24 for probably 300 yards and five touchdowns. Again, there's a whole butterf- butterfly effect thing, so who knows what the actual would be, but still, just just tack it on. The running game wasn't really there, and it was somewhat interesting. Um, I got a question from Kyle here. Just two questions. He says, uh, questions for you. Number one, were you wrong about A.J. Dillon? And then two is about Kevin King. Will he ever learn to tackle properly? The A.J. Dillon thing is is interesting because a couple different thoughts. First of all, yesterday I did say I, we don't know what's going to happen. A.J. Dillon could be the number one going forward. They may put him number two with Aaron Jones number one and then putting him ahead of Jamal, or they may just dump him down to number three. It's possible that it was just Aaron Jones wasn't feeling right, Jamal was out, so A.J. Dillon took the ball, took the the carry. Um, Having watched this game, I don't really agree, as you probably can imagine, and, you know, who cares what I think over Matt LaFleur, but I just, you know, watching Jamal run, to be completely honest, everything he did, I'm saying A.J. Dillon could have at least done that. I know he had one carry where he got ripped down by his head and didn't go anywhere and then got pulled and we didn't see him the rest of the day. Go back and watch the game against the Tennessee Titans. His first two carries didn't go anywhere. I think he ended the day just fine. The point is, you know, with one carry, you can't get any kind of an assessment of anything. 
give the guy 15, 16, 17 carries, and I have a feeling he's going to do a good job. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with keeping Aaron Jones as the number one here uh, because he did a very good job. I thought the Bears did a great job of trying to bottle up the run. There was not a lot in the middle of the, the field there. A lot of the big runs came when he bounced it to the outside, and I know A.J. Dillon can do that. But Aaron Jones is just special. I mean, his ability to find those extra yards, not through power. I mean, if he if he hits a brick wall, he's not going anywhere. A.J. Dillon runs through people. Aaron Jones is just super slippery with spinning out of things, and he's got a great stiff arm, just kind of finding those extra couple yards that way. And I think he kind of made some magic happen a few times. So I'm not really mad at that. He did only have 11 carries, 42 yards, and 3.8 yards per carry. So it wasn't great. I don't think the blocking was was fantastic. There wasn't anywhere for them to go. I can't tell you definitively, this is a Coach Hahn question, were, were the were, were the Bears playing to stop the run, or were they just winning the one-on-one? In other words, was it a stacked box, or, or did I, our guys just not do their job properly? Because unless they have a numbers advantage, that shouldn't happen. I don't care how good the defense is. you got to win. Um, Jamal did actually end with a pretty decent um, chunk here. Five carries, 26 yards, 5.2 average. Mostly that came from his 14-yard scamper, however. That accounted for over half his yards. He averaged three yards per carry outside of that one carry. Aaron Jones' longest was 10. Aaron Jones had one rush. That always freaks me out when these things autoplay like that. And there's always a delay, so I don't expect it. Aaron Jones had one for... Uh, Rodgers had one for four. MVS got on one for four. A.J. Dillon had his one for three. The, the other the other final note... So I, let me finish my thoughts on A.J. Dillon, first of all. I don't know that we necessarily learned anything that A.J. Dillon is the number three going forward. Maybe... And I do think we're probably back into that trust category, especially against the Bears and this really stout defense. Everything has to work like clockwork, and I don't think A.J. Dillon really apparently is at that level. I don't see any reason to drop him down to the number three. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. But from their standpoint, they really wanted to win this game, and they put the guys out there that they trusted. The one interesting thing, well, a couple things, but the one interesting thing I thought that was that, that they did that I think they can do a lot moving forward, I've told you every time they bring A.J. Dillon out, what do teams do? They know we're going to run the ball. So they stack the box, and they really try to crash down on this guy. The Packers must have really noticed that. And so what did they do? They started bringing two running backs out. You bring A.J. Dillon out, you send Aaron Jones into the flat, and then you fake it to A.J. Dillon, and, and they paid no attention to Aaron Jones. They crashed down so hard. And, and that's kind of the confusing thing, because teams clearly are scared of A.J. Dillon. No question about it. When he comes on the field, they their number one objective is stop this horse. And so the Packers took advantage of that. The last three times that I saw him on the field, it was play action. They faked it to him, and then they pitch it out somewhere else. And all it's, it, it, my recollection, all three plays were pretty beneficial plays. So the, the somewhat interesting thing is what are they going to do going forward? And I think we, we get too stagnant in our thinking in terms of, well, this is what it is now. I tend to believe Matt LaFleur when he says we have a different game plan for different teams and and the amount of malleability with this team is is staggering i mentioned we don't know who the number two receiver is we see some days where tunyon is the guy we see some days where mvs is the guy we see some days where lazard is the guy running backs we've seen you know aaron jones jamal and and aj Dillon get used and and in different ways i don't think it's impossible that we see aj Dillon take the lead again or at least take a bigger role i genuinely think it comes down to what are the bears going to try to do and how do we attack them best? And, and the answer came down to utilizing Jamal and Aaron Jones. I think if there is a game plan moving forward that has something to do with wearing down the defense, running the ball a lot, we might see more A.J. Dillon. If we're going to drop back and throw like the Packers did a ton in this game, Jamal and Aaron Jones make infinitely more sense. I think they're better blockers. 
They're better receivers. And it, it also comes down to understanding the offense much more. You know, we're talking, that it's not just that you have to know how to run a route. You have to know what route to run. And also, remember, there's a lot of checks in a game. So if Aaron Rodgers says, we're not doing that, we're doing this now, Dylan has to know what that means. And there are times when, when the running back's lined up behind him and he says, no, we're going to check into this. Now you need to get split out. You got to know where to go, what to do, and we got to trust that you can catch it. And and again, I think that's that's the large part. It's not about him as a runner. It's about all that extra stuff that goes on in, in, in this Bears game where they're throwing the ball a ton. You got to be able to handle that. And I, I just think that that's probably the biggest thing is that he's not at that point. So that's that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. Now, I still think in 2021, he's going to be the guy because I don't think Aaron Jones is going to come back. So it's, it's a matter of in the offseason, he has to really study this stuff. Uh, hopefully there's going to be a training camp where we can practice this and get him completely up to speed and we'll see what happens from there. But until then, it's really just a matter of we got to come up with a game plan specific to this team. And if it involves A.J. Dillon, we're going to see a lot of A.J. Dillon. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And uh, if I had to guess, I'd say we're not going to see a lot of them because as we've seen, when Jones and Jamal are healthy, we just don't see Dillon. And apparently that's going to continue. Still very excited about the guy. I, I think he's still a big weapon. I think he's going to be used and useful in, in this playoff run. If nothing else, the, the amount of depth is ridiculous. We have no concern of losing running backs in this in this postseason. I mean, we can literally lose two guys and still have a number one running back on the team. So again, I don't necessarily agree with the assessment, but I can't, I can't really complain. Uh, looking at the receiving, MVS, two receptions, 87 yards, 43.5 average, one touchdown, uh, 72 yards was his long. He had three targets. Obviously, the other one was a killer. Again, that, that essentially ended up being a 10-point swing. Instead of going up you know, seven points, we ended up punting, and the Bears come down and score three points. That's, that's devastating, and that's the kind of stuff that can swing momentum. It can swing a lot of things, and you know, looking back now, it's easy to say, you know, whatever, it's one drop, get over it, but at the time, you, you realize that can, that can mean losing the game. Depending on if the offense can pick it back up and if the defense can stay stout, which is where you start to worry about them getting tired because they've been on the field so long because we just keep handing them things. I mean, I, I literally think when it gets to be third and short that Mike Patton just gives up. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that to be facetious. I think that's a strategy for him. I was looking at Coach Hahn did a couple of uh, things in the Facebook group, his takeaways. I'll just read them very quickly. Uh, pros, pretty strong inside linebacker play, allowed the D-line and secondary to play free. Right side of the line was moving people in the run game. Dylan and Jamal Williams short up punt protection unit. 49 and 13 are all in, team player. Talking Dominique Daphne and Alan Lazar. Uh, the cons, Turner struggled a little bit at left tackle, so it looks like I'm not going to have to eat my words. Scheme is going to get a field goal or an extra point blocked at some point in the playoffs. I don't expect that to get corrected because that would mean Menenga would have to do a good job. And then finally, all caps, stop playing two defensive linemen in short yardage scenarios. You know, one of my favorite games when I was a kid and I started playing it recently and my my son now has seen it because I have it on my phone. He's obsessed with it, which is how I know he's my son, is Risk. Loved Risk. I remember as a kid, me and my stepmom and my brother would, we'd play Risk for, I mean, it it would take like two, three hours. Absolutely loved it. But there are times when you essentially just give somebody another country, right? I almost want you to attack that country because really all I'm trying to do is fortify these, this, you know, country here or continent so that I get my extra, my extra guy. So if I can draw your attention over to this country that I couldn't care any less about, then you're not coming and attacking me over here, which is why I said what you don't want to do is get them into third and shorts. Cause I think at, at that point, Petten's strategy is we're going to let you run for a first down, but that's it. 
The only reason you would put two de- defensive linemen down is to say we're going to protect against a play-action shot. We saw the one time they did that. It was fourth and short. They decided to throw the ball, and we stopped it. Petten is literally sitting there saying, just don't throw it. We're not going to let you throw it, but we will let you run for a first down. And they threw it. Petten is allowing them to get first down. And again, I think he does give those up. And it's frustrating, but it's just kind of part of it. And, and what they require is we need to get them into second and third and longs. And every time we do that, the defense usually shows up. This is another great thing about this defense, even including last year, but in as many years as I can remember, third and long, I felt more comfortable in third and shorts than third and longs. They constantly gave those up. The Packers don't do that anymore. Not saying never, but they're very good when you get them into third and longs. That's when the pass rush finally shows up. The DBs play some great football. And I think that might actually be part of the problem with the pass rush, if we're being honest. It's easier to get to the quarterback when you have more time to get to the quarterback. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how quickly quarterbacks, opposing quarterbacks have gotten the ball out against the Green Bay Packers because, again, Mike Pettin is giving them the short yardage stuff. Anyways, just a thought. As annoying as that is and as much as you want to say, no, forget that, load up and stop them, I, I do think sometimes he kind of just concedes it and says, let's, let's just make sure they don't take us for a ride on, you know, fourth and one and take a shot for a 30-yard touchdown. Devontae, six receptions, 46 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones, four receptions, uh, 43 yards. Tunyon, two receptions, 18 yards and a touchdown. Lazard, two receptions, 17 yards. Dominique Daphne, one reception, 13 yards and a touchdown. Mercedes Lewis, one for nine. Tavon Austin, one for seven. Equinemius, zero for zero. Did get targeted once, though. So another great thing about this offense is the amount of players. And again, you draw up a game plan. I mean, literally, opposing defenses do not know what team they're playing. They just, they don't know. You know you're playing Rodgers. You know you're playing Devontae. You have a fairly decent idea what the offensive line is, but LaFleur has already said we're planning on shuffling that based on the opponent. I don't know if that's true. I tend to think it's not, but he's at least putting that seed in people's heads. Maybe it is. But you don't know what receivers you're going to have to account for. You don't know what running backs you're going to have to account for. You don't know what football team you're going to play. And now even defensively, which pass rushers are going to be out there? We saw very limited Rashawn Gary, which I thought was annoying because he was doing a great job against the run and Preston wasn't and they were running the ball a lot. That isn't to say they don't dial up more Rashawn Gary next week or Snacks Harrison. We still haven't seen Snacks Harrison. Are they going to do it again where he only plays like five times? Or is he going to play a major role the next time you see the Packers? You just don't know. Linebackers. Who are the linebackers? I don't know who the linebackers are. I know they're playing well, but which ones? So when you try to game plan and say this is how we're going to attack them, attack who? Do what? To who? How? And, and even if you come up with the right game plan, even if you guess correctly, Matt LaFleur has the ability to adjust it. If we incorrectly put together a game plan, you know, we can go from Aaron Jones to A.J. Dillon. That's possible. We can go from trying to target MVS down the field because we think you're going to have this kind of coverage, but because you're doing that kind of coverage, we're going to bring in Alan Lazard and play a lot of him and Tunyon, and we're going to bring it in tight, bring the big boys out, and, and play you that way. It's such an impossible task to ask a defensive coordinator to try to stop this. The biggest thing, though, is Matt LaFleur has to be malleable in-game. He has to be. He has to have the ability to say, this is how they're stopping us, this is what we can do to attack them, and bring that personnel out there. And I think he's starting to get into that rhythm, and that's just that next level of danger that um, makes this just impossible. Defensively, Chris Barnes led the team in tackles. He had 14 to- uh, total, 8 solo. One tackle for a loss. Darnell Savage and Kevin King tied for 10. Kevin King did have two pass deflections. Again, a lot of people are on his case. I think there was a lot of good and a lot of bad, to be honest. They were clearly picking on him at one point. He did miss some tackles. There was at least one play where I know he didn't have great coverage, but uh, he still had two pass deflections. I thought the tackling, as much as there was bad, there was some really good physical, violent tackling. Um, 
you know, I'm 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 not I don't have a hard time calling out Kevin King when I thought he had a bad day. This was this was iffy. I'll, I'll honestly I'll take days like this from Kevin King where where some of the plays are really bad, but then other times he really steps up. On a day when you see uh, 16 total points and he had 10 tackles and two pass deflections, I'll, I'll take that. Adrian Amos nine tackles, one pass deflection. Christian Kirksey with seven total tackles, including a sack. There's also a tackle for a loss and a quarterback hit, but I think that's all the same thing. Chandon Sullivan, uh, half of a tackle for a loss. So he had a tackle for a loss, as well as one pass deflection. Rashawn Gary, 1.5 tackles for a loss. Kenny Clark with a quarterback hit. Jair Alexander with one tackle for a loss and one pass deflection. And then Preston Smith down here credited with one quarterback hit. One sack in this game, and that was to Christian Kirksey. That needs to be better. I mentioned how this offensive line is not good, especially in terms of pass protection. Granted, again, the ball was out super early, and I think if, if this was a different game plan in which he was sitting back and, and launching it down the field, that there would have been a lot more duress on Mitch Trubisky. But you're asking a lot of your guy to get to a quarterback that's getting the ball out of his hands in 1.8 seconds. Um, interceptions, Amos had one for 24. There's uh, another th- something Brady mentioned also in our uh, thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, by the way, it's the... Uh, uh, Green Bay Packer Nation Facebook page. Uh, I'm assuming it's one of the biggest uh, Facebook pages out there for the Green Bay Packers. If you don't like it, make sure you go do that. But we do a little post-game chat every single uh, after every single game. And apparently there was a, a person that, that gave him a bold prediction that there would be three interceptions. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he was right in that bold pr- pr- prediction because there should have been. Amos had one. Kevin King had one just go right through him. And Chandon Sullivan also should have had one. Not super impactful because it was fourth down, and I think he was going down anyway. So as far as field position, it wouldn't have made a difference. But it would have been nice to have three picks in this game against Trubisky. Anyways, I feel like I'm leaving quite a bit out, but uh, those are sort of my initial reactions. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the playoffs. Um, I think the extra week is going to be beneficial. Again, getting everybody healthy. Hopefully nobody gets hurt in practice. Um, and then just being able to dial up some some new stuff. I, I, I get the impression, and I think I'm not alone in this, that there's there's a lot that Matt LaFleur would love to unleash in the playoffs. Right? You always you always hear about teams that are holding things back for the playoffs. I don't think there's any question that Matt LaFleur has a bunch of that. And really, again, you got a guy that, that likes to stick with what they, they know and what they do. He doesn't like trying stuff. Right? It, it sticks with what they do and do well. This is an opportunity to get good at some of that new stuff. And so, you know, take out that 10, 20 different plays that nobody's seen and really just rehearse it, right? Some of that two running back stuff I think was fantastic. Let's explore that a bit. Dylan and and Aaron Jones on the field at the same time, let's please explore that. Um, Some Dominique Daphne stuff. I mean, whatever, Tavon Austin, let's figure out how to get him acclimated, get Snacks acclimated. Um, It's a real good opportunity to really just get some new stuff added to this this team's repertoire. I mean, it really is. I mean, they, they finally get a preseason. You know, they, they finally get that time to learn some stuff. I know they had a buy already once this year, but I mean, it's just, it's 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 going to be very beneficial. As much as, as people are scared about coming out flat after a buy, and I get that, I just think that this team has so much potential in terms of just still having another gear. You just always feel like there's another gear with this team. So anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.